to the podcast review of the second episode of The Nevers. My name is AJ and I'm here to talk to you about what will happen in this, in this episode and ultimately to give you some idea of whether or not it's worth watching. So let's begin. Who? Well, pretty much the star of the first episode was, I would say, Joss Whedon. Everything was focused on him. The star of this episode, uh, it, you know, it starts to get a little bit more handed over to the cast to, you know, show what they can do and to show whether or not they can make this program work. What? Episode 2 of The Nevers. It's a 12-part series uh, that's been broken up into two six-episode chapters. Where? Set in Victorian England. I will give the makers a little bit of credit this time. There wasn't as much running around in underwear and that sort of stuff like there was in the previous episode. So, good work, guys. Uh, when? Turn of the century. The end of the Victorian era, I guess. And why? Well, the first episode was just called Pilot. They've just had to, you know, keep going with the series. And so this was really important to start to develop things and just to demonstrate whether or not this show will have legs effectively, I guess. Okay. So a quick summary of the events of episode two. At the very beginning of the episode, a new girl, Beth, appears and she's been touched. She has the ability to make things that she touches levitate. I must say, at this stage, a lot of these people have, I don't know, fairly routine sort of powers, very X-Men sort of stuff. Um, it just, just looks very stock standard to me. Some of, the, some of the powers are actually boring. There is at least one touch that appears later in the episode that does have a pretty useful skill, though. Her powers are accidentally revealed to others, and she is forced to flee from her occupation. She has a pamphlet for St. Romalda's Orphanage, and while on her way there, she is kidnapped by the masked bad guys. Detective Mundy is investigating the orphanage. It's really just an excuse for him to interact with some of the characters. Even in the story itself, they struggle to justify his raid on the orphanage. He doesn't find Malady, which he claims he is, who he claims he is looking for, and he leaves after he's chased out by Lavinia. Lavinia then talks some mumbo-jumbo about trying to improve the negative perception the public holds towards the touched. And her idea to solve this is essentially inviting him to a sort of freak show, sorry, charitable fate, where members of the public can meet them and see that they are not dangerous. Then we cut to a scene very similar to the scene from the first episode with Lord Masson and other council members, i.e. more bad guys, some of whom are left over from Game of Thrones, discussing the events of the night at the opera from the previous episode. Masson then talks to Hugo about the events at his club, and we get the characters posturing against each other. Personally, I find this thread of the storyline to be really boring and convoluted. In all honesty, there is more than enough going on in this show without following what this group of men is up to. I'm sure it'll be integrated into the action more so later in the series, but for the moment, it just looks like padding. A lot of chatter at the start of the episode as well. They seem to be reintroducing us to all the characters again for some reason. Do they think we've forgotten who everybody is already, and are they going to be doing this for the rest of the series? I have a strong doubt that something like the orphanage with its mutants, sorry, touched, would have been tolerated in Victorian society or any society in that era. More likely, they all would have been locked up, and then God only knows what would have been done to them, especially if they were perceived as being a threat 
to broader society. Tolerance in the Victorian era and a lot of years before that was almost non-existent. Okay, the action starts to pick up a little bit from this point. Amalia has a vision in which she fights. She and Melody fight. And, and then after that, she meets... So, yeah, that's the flashback out of the way. And then she has a meeting with Desiree, who's turned up at the orphanage. A touched individual who just happened to, you know, turn up at the right time. She describes herself as a whore. And it's like, would somebody really describe themselves as being that sort of profession back in those days? I'm sure there would have been a more eloquent or acceptable expression. Desiree has one of the more interesting powers, as she is able to compel people to express their secrets, to tell the truth about things. Amalia takes Desiree to the police station and uses her to get Detective Mundi to spill his secrets, discovering that the touched who was kidnapped at the end of the last episode, Mary, was once engaged to Detective Mundi. Amalia is then able to discover where Malady is located and goes off to confront her. At the chari charitable fate, the toffs, the upper class, and I do like the usage with the expression toffs, that's pretty good. Bit of an us and them sort of thing of the working class and the upper classes, are enjoying the freak show. And Penance has an extended chat with Augie. They enjoy some time together and exchange some vulnerabilities. And it seems to be going quite well between them, you know, a bit of a start of a romantic sort of thing. Then Lavinia warns Augie privately to have nothing to do with Penance. And he does as he is told, like a good doggy. Brokenhearted by Augie's rejection, Penance leaves the fate and is soon captured by the villains. Amalia heads to the old factory to confront Melody. She finds Penance and Mary, each with a noose around their necks at the edge of a platform. Um, Amalia fights Melody, during which they call each other Sarah and Molly. Look out! Seems that these two somehow knew each other before the events of the day they were touched. Malady also keeps telling Amalia to shed her skin, which Amalia interprets as, do you want me to take my clothes off? But I think it's implied there's more to it than that. Once again, another mystery. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. Malady then forces Amalia to choose either Mary or Penance to save, but Amalia instead shoots herself. With Malady distracted, Amalia shoots her as well. Malady and her followers flee the area as Detective Mundi and more cops arrive at the scene. Malady and her followers are literally allowed to, allowed to run off with no serious attempt by the police to stop them. Amalia, with bad injuries, is taken off to Horatio to be healed. Again! Seems that Horatio only turns up when Amalia when needed, a captured Beth is brought to Dr. Haig, who is about to perform some nasty surgery on her. Before he can, he is interrupted by his assistant, who tells him that their boss has arrived. And straight away, they make it really obvious, like, oh, this is going to be a big deal. Haig meets the boss, who just so happens to be, dun, 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 Lavinia. And he happily shows her the progress made. His team has found a giant blue-coloured glowing orb buried in the ground. So is this something left from the flying object we saw over London in the previous episode? Or is it something else? Or is it connected to it? Who knows? It's another mystery. 
Finally, we're kind of sadly shown a lobotomized Beth working as a brain-dead slave. And that's a rather down note to end up the episode on. Yeah, they, they did build up your expectation. Oh, they should save this girl, but they don't. And so, I don't know. A lot of the exposition in this episode is fairly unsubtle. A lot of the characters are fairly obvious. On the plus side, the storytelling is much more linear. In this episode, it's much easier to keep your head around what is going on. And that's a real positive because the previous episode was really confusing. And since that was the first episode, I don't think that was really fair on the audience at all. The second half of the episode was much better than the first when the action picked up. But still, they want to keep these mysteries dancing in the air. They want to keep the audience confused. So you're just going to have to wait until further on to find out exactly what's going on. Overall, I would give this episode probably a 3 out of 5. It shows to me that the series has promise. It's still a lot of ripping off of X-Men and Doctor Who and that sort of thing. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, it also shows that you end up missing something like the TARDIS. In Doctor Who, it was just good that you know, generally every every episode or every couple of episodes, they'd change scenes and they'd go somewhere else. Yeah, with this, of course, we are just stuck in Victorian England. It looked a bit nicer this time, not so smoggy, a little bit clearer. I don't know how, how involved Joss was with this episode. Overall, not too bad. I'd say give the series, you know, give it a check out. It really depends on what happens in the third episode now, where, where this goes, if it goes anywhere. I, th I predict they're just going to, you know, flood it with more mysteries and more confusion, but we'll have to wait and see. So anyway, until then, thank you everybody for listening and have a good day. Bye.